Proverbs 12:18 simply says, "There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing." Grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God stands forever. One verse is our sermon text for this morning, and uh, let me pray, and then we'll look into it. Oh Lord, we have come here needy, hungry, hurting, joyful. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight this morning that we would know your power to bring strength and healing, true joy, and full peace. We ask in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. I still remember, I don't know how old I was when my parents or my mom specifically said those words to me. I don't remember the context, if it was a neighborhood dispute or something at school, but it was trying to soothe my brokenness and hurt from somebody's hurtful words. Well-intended, not criticizing my mom at all in this, but all of us have heard those words, maybe even said those words, but all of us know how short those words come. For words are probably more powerful than even physical damage that can be done to us by another person. Abuse is rampant in our prosperous society. Not only physical abuse, but emotional and verbal abuse. All of us have experienced some type of hurt from rash words from somebody else. Most of us have probably spoken some kind of rash words we wish we could take back. There's no way to take back the words like an email that's already been sent and trying to retract it. You've all tried to retract it, but it never comes back. The words are out there and they can't be taken back. Healing is possible. But the scar remains. The sword thrusts are like some type of piercing action that goes in. And the scars remain, though healing is possible. And interestingly, in this proverb, we see that the, the tool, the instrument that's used to do the pain, that is the mouth, the tongue, the lips, all of them are spoken about frequently in Proverbs, is the same instrument that's used to bring the healing. There's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. If there's one thing I want you to take away from today's message and from this, this proverb is an elevated view of the value, the, the treasuring of 
each of our words that we have an opportunity to speak or an opportunity to hold back. Words have power. They're significant. Many mistakes have been made by speaking rash words. Also, other mistakes have been made by withholding words, sometimes trying to act in wisdom. The scripture tells us your foolishness is revealed by the words you speak. So sometimes it's better not to speak at all, but if we don't speak, then the words and the potential for the healing power and the the relationship building that's, that's, that's capable through those words may also be missed. Wisdom has been our goal in this study of Proverbs. Probably in no other area is wisdom so difficult to apply than in the choice of our words or the decision to remain silent. What to say, what not to say. Many people, many parts of the scripture speak about the power of words, the significance of words. Earlier in Proverbs chapter 4, you remember these were the letters that are the, the poems or the lectures or, or, or that, that Solomon is teaching to his son. Proverbs 4 began this. He said, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians 4.29, says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And then most striking of all, James, James 3.7 says, For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Words matter, words are powerful. The Proverbs probably, by some counts, speak more of words and the importance of words than any other subject. What are the words that we should be speaking to one another? And what are the words that we need to hear from others? Let me read a little bit more from this chapter 12. It's printed in your bulletin to give some more context And I should say that we finished last week with chapter 9 of of Proverbs. And chapters 1 through 9 is a set of of these poems that that Solomon, king, is writing to one of his sons, and by extension other sons and, and daughters and all of us, to instill the importance of wisdom. 
It's easy to go step by step, chapter by chapter through that, but when you come to the Proverbs themselves in chapter 10, where they typically are one verse at a time, maybe a couplet of lines extending wisdom, it's difficult to go one at a time because they bounce from topic to topic. So what we're going to do is we're going to take some topics from the Proverbs and look at them. And today we're going to look at the power of words, the power of the tongue. Next week we're going to look at something more specific for kids, uh, but it's not just for kids. I hope that all those sermons are like a good children's book that's enjoyable for the parent to read or an adult to read as well as the kids. It'll be a sermon that's about 15 It'll allow for 20 minutes, you know me. 15 minutes long. And then after that, we're going to spend three or four weeks on the topic of vocation. And this is a ministry that I've wanted to uh, develop more as a church and look at uh, how we engage the work that we do, whether it's in a workplace or in our home or, uh, or in retirement or some other place. But all of us have been called to certain vocations. And what does it mean to be called? The Proverbs have all kinds of wisdom that can be applied, particularly in the marketplace, in the workplace, and of course in the home as well, if that's your primary place of, of laboring, it's no less significant. Uh, so, so that's our plan for the next few weeks. We'll look at vocation, but today we're looking at the tongue, and today's a little bit unique because if you look at this section that begins at verse 13 and read through chapter 22, it's, it's, it's deceiving for the whole book of Proverbs because it actually kind of centers on the topic of uh, words and, and the power of the tongue, and they're somewhat related, which is not typically the case in uh, chapters 10, at least 10 through 29. Now let's read a little bit more of the context of this, uh, this proverb that we read earlier. An evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous escapes from trouble. From the fruit of his mouth, a man is satisfied with good, and the work of a man's hand comes back to him. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. Whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. There's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace have joy. No ill befalls the righteous, but the wicked are filled with trouble. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Now you see a common theme there, and the topic of deceit, truth-telling, lying is one that's prevalent there, and we're going to look at that more in the, in the future, but that's not our primary topic today. I do want to look at one other particular verse here to lead into a, a, a time where we look at Words that hurt and words that heal. Those are our primary topics for the day. Words that hurt and words that heal. But maybe more importantly is what's spoken in verse 15, or at least more importantly to begin with, words spoken in verse 15, and that is the way of the fool 
is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. And here is the key question for discipleship that Jesus looked for, that God looks for in somebody who hears and wants to follow him is the question, are you teachable? Anyone who's done mentoring, spiritual mentoring of another person immediately realizes you have to discern whether a person is teachable or not. If a person is wise in his own eyes, he's never wrong. Quick to defend his own decisions. Even when somebody knows that they were wrong, they will defend their decision to the death. It is a person who is unable to confess his sins. A person who is unable to see the log in his own eyes and constantly focused on the speck in somebody else's eyes. I think most of us can relate to this at some level. Hopefully most of us are not hard-hearted so much that we don't see some fault in ourselves and even are willing to lead with an apology. But I don't want you to leave here if you're the type of person who never can find fault in yourself, not knowing something of the comfort that God extends to us and the pain that he knows that you have. Because it's been my experience that those who are most offensive, most unable to admit their own wrongs, seem least teachable, almost always experienced deep hurt in their life in a way that they're not sure that they can expose themselves by admitting wrong to another person. They're not confident that they can admit wrong without losing love. It's not a selfishness that necessarily drives that. So much it is a fear. A fear that is grounded in multiple experiences, both in the immediate family, also among friends. And it's a very real experience that is not to be looked on lightly or to, to be shoved aside. It's a it's the type of experience that the proverb here is trying to address in correcting the people who have brought that hurt on you in the past. That those rash words that have been spoken have wounded you like sword thrusts and you need to hear the healing words of other people, but more importantly than that even. From God Himself. That you would know something of the joy that God wants to offer you and for you to experience, is offering you and wants you to experience knowing the words He promises His followers, those who have been made righteous in Christ, that they will hear on the last day, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, 
in the work that you did this week in the workplace. Well done in the difficult decisions you had to make parenting or in trouble in relationships. Well done in your schoolwork. Well done in sitting with somebody who needed comfort or is in deep pain. Well done in going to help somebody move. Well done. And many of the things that you did, even, even in the things that you felt like you didn't measure up, you did C work instead of A work. God says, well done. I love you. And I want you to continue. Well done. Know that you can be vulnerable to other people and experience the same type of love. Now, here's where wisdom comes in. And here's where we are called as believers, followers of Christ to discern and to judge rightly. Know that not everyone is able to speak to you words of healing. Some people will take your words and they will turn those words around and thrust them back into you like a sword. And those people are not people to be vulnerable with. Knowing and discerning who's who is a major theme of the book of Proverbs. Life is not like middle school. But so many of us are caught up in that drama of middle school where we're so afraid that somebody's going to take something we say and create a nickname for us or make fun of us or something else that we hold up. And we're not only unable to extend words of healing to others, we're unable to receive the healing that others give us because we're constantly defending ourselves from the sword thrust. We've got a shield that's in front of us or a soundproof barrier that's in front of us. And so we not only block out the words that hurt, we block out the words that heal. Now let's start with the words that hurt. I don't have to even say anything more. All of you as soon as I started speaking today, went back and found some words, probably more than one occasion of words that have hurt you deeply in your life. Words that were spoken harshly, loudly, rashly. The word that's used in this proverb, chapter 12, verse 18, those whose rash words are like sword thrusts, that rash is really, it cannot be underestimated. They are fly-off-the-handle kind of rashness words. They are completely unthought through. They are anger in a time where your stress is already high and you just lash out. They are uncontrolled unthought through words. I've said them. I think most of us have said those types of words. We're in a stressful situation. We justify them. 
You thought about the words that have hurt you. Did you think about the words that you may have said that may have hurt somebody else? Maybe they've come to you. Maybe they haven't. If you've said those words even in the last week, the last month, or even in your lifetime, there's opportunity to go unless the person is deceased or incapacitated. So there is opportunity today to go to your brother who has something against you and to be reconciled to that person. There's forgiveness for those words that you've spoken that's found first in Christ Jesus. We read earlier from Psalm 32, against you have I sinned, or maybe that's Psalm 51, but, but I, I confessed my sins to the Lord. I confessed my sins to the Lord and He forgave me and that gave Him all kinds of strength and restoration. His bones were wasting away. Confessed his sins to the Lord and he went to his brother to find that healing and to confess his sins. Now the longer it's lasted, perhaps the longer it'll take to experience true forgiveness. And don't assume that everybody, that humans are able to offer forgiveness in the same way that God can. But there's opportunity to be reconciled today if you have spoken those rash words. Just a word more on forgiveness. One of the things that I see most common and I hear spoken of so little is that forgiveness, true forgiveness of somebody else is not simply the words that they say. You know, somebody comes and says, I'm sorry. We say, helpfully, we say, I forgive you. But forgiveness, true forgiveness is more like a vow that we make. We made took, uh, a couple people took membership vows recently. We talked about vows. True forgiveness is more like a vow where the truth of the statement is lived into more and more every day until our hearts come in alignment with the statement itself. And so one of the mistakes I see most common is that somebody will say, well, I confessed my sin to somebody else and they said they forgive me, but they're still holding it against me. And you've got to understand that their heart has not caught up with their words. And when we've sinned against somebody else, it's more than words they're offering. They are actually paying the emotional debt that you owed to them, but you can't pay it. They are the only person who can pay it, and it takes time. So if you're going to somebody asking for forgiveness, give it some time. Give it some time. Extend the words. Live into the words if you're offering the forgiveness. Don't hold it back, but I know and you should know that it takes time oftentimes. Words matter. Words can hurt. Now, if you've been hurt by somebody else's words, the second part of this is the healing that comes through words. And hopefully that person who has hurt you has come to you and offered words of, uh, of, of repentance and, and wanting to make things right and to reconcile, but maybe they haven't. 
And there's a better word than their word that you need to hear. And that is, of course, the word that God offers to His people that says, you are forgiven of your sins, even if other people can't forgive you for your sins. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor and theologian during uh, World War II who uh, eventually was arrested and uh, killed for his faith and his opposition to the Third Reich. And he wrote a classic book, I recommend it, called Life Together and the Importance of the Christian Living Life Together and how we need one another to, uh, to, to build one another up in our, in our faith, in our assurance of, of, uh, of, of God's uh, love and, and his forgiveness. And he says, says these words in Life Together, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain, his brother's is sure. Now he's not comparing the relative faith between these two people and who has more faith and less faith. What he's saying is that we are constantly prone as human beings to doubt the assurances that God gives us in his word that his forgiveness covers that too. And he's saying we need to not only hear the words, but speak the words to somebody else Because when we speak the words of God's forgiveness to other people, we are building it up. We are affirming it. We are strengthening that person's assurance because you're speaking God's words to them. And they experience that in a way that is more sure than when we speak it to ourselves. It doesn't undermine the need to preach the gospel to ourselves. We read the scripture. We apply it to ourselves. But we also need to hear it spoken by somebody else. There's a classic example of healing that actually is both hurt and healing that words of a friend can bring to a person. It's a story that's found in 2 Samuel chapter 11. If you want to turn there, you can. 2 Samuel chapter 11, and the story is a familiar story to almost all of us. It's the story of David and Bathsheba. Should I say David and Bathsheba and Uriah, Bathsheba's husband? Now, I meant to mention this story a couple weeks ago when we were talking about uh, the, the, the temptation toward laziness that, uh, uh, that Proverbs addressed earlier. And I'll just make this note. I rarely come back to something, but I forgot to say this. Chapter 11, verse 1 begins, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David, King David, sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. That last sentence Five words, but David remained at Jerusalem is one of the most profound instructions when it comes to avoiding sexual sin, but also all kinds of sin that stem from uh, a laziness or, or an apathy or withdrawal. 
where David's problems began when he was supposed to go out as king with his armies to fight, but he remained at Jerusalem. You know the story. The story goes on that he saw Bathsheba uh, bathing and called to have her come. She became pregnant to cover his sin. David tried various things, even calling Uriah back from the battlefield so that he might be with his wife and think that the child was his own. Uriah refused, saying, I need to be on the battlefield. David sent Uriah to be killed, commanding Joab to have Uriah sent to the front of the battle. So he would die. And then in chapter 12, the Lord sends Nathan to David. Beginning in verse 1. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up and grew up with him and with his children. He used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was, it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Four words. You are the man. Nathan's words cut to David's heart. They were words that wounded in a way that brought healing. David confessed his sin, though he still had consequences as a result of it. Nathan the prophet expressed that this child would die, which he did. It's part of the consequence. But also that David's family would experience a level of strife as well, which it did. And yet at the same time, these were the words that David needed to hear. Sometimes we think that the words that heal are just words that build people up and, uh, and to say nice things. But the Proverbs speaks about those words too. The dangers of offering empty flattery. 
without speaking truth. Words that heal, bring restoration, bring correction. Now I wish that I could speak as eloquently as the prophet Nathan to bring correction to other people. I'm inclined sometimes to keep silent, knowing and seeing some of the dangers ahead of them, but not being sure how they'll take the truth. I suspect that I myself am also guilty of blocking words from other people. Now there's a bit of a check that's helpful when you go to speak and confront somebody else to bring words of healing that also are words that wound. And just a bit of practical application advice here. Have you considered the speck or the log in your own eye when you're looking at the speck in somebody else's? Are you yourself able to hear corrective words from other people? Or do you get defensive? When somebody does offer corrective words to you, do you immediately go to find the fault in that person and try to compare yourself and justify yourself by being better than them? You take time to listen to the other person. To understand why they've done what they've done. To understand what place in their life where they are. And have you prayed for that person? Prayed for your own heart? One pastor I've really enjoyed studying Proverbs from, I know has experienced multiple church splits and divisions in churches that were not necessarily his fault. He stepped into some difficult situations. He made this interesting point about division in the church. He said, it doesn't really take half the church to divide a church. He said, it just takes two people. One, one to begin the gossip and the complaining, and the other person to just listen and affirm everything they're saying and not offer any counsel. Correction, direction. So it spreads. Spreads if you're in the south like kudzu growing on the the tree pole, the trees and the lamp poles. Spreads like a bad disease on close quarter ships. Gossip in this type of words, slanderous words, and words that are spoken hastily and even believed often have all kinds of dangerous consequences. And so when we speak these words, whether they're eloquent or not, like Nathan's were, or not, we need to come to these with hearts that are willing to listen, to pray, to consult other people to find out if this issue is really a thing and not just go to the people who are willing to say, yeah, I agree. And then to listen and pray some more and to continue to seek out wisdom to know how to offer these words. Nathan had these words directly from the Lord himself. He knew the truth. He consulted with God. We need to consult with one another in a way that doesn't spread gossip, promote slander, but does bring 
does bring oftentimes wounding words that bring healing. We find this example in Acts chapter 2 when Peter and the other apostles were together in the city of Jerusalem and Jesus has died and raised and restored the apostles and appointed them and equipped them with the power of the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel. And Peter is delivering his famous sermon and many people heard and they believed. And even people heard the apostles speaking in other languages, in their own language, and they heard and believed. And the response says that they, were, they heard this and they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Are you able to receive the words that bring healing to your life? Sometimes they hurt. Sometimes they feel really good and we should speak affirming positive words to one another. But the most important words that you can hear in all of life are the words that God speaks to you saying, I made you and I love you. In your sinful heart and desires, you have run away from me and you have fallen away from me. You have hurt me in your relationship. You have broken the relationship with me. But God says, I am pursuing you to reconcile the relationship. I have pursued you with my own life, even to the point of death on a cross, shameful death, so that we can be reconciled. And all that's required of you now is to hear the hurtful words, the wounding words that say you are not measuring up to your end of the deal. But I have brought forgiveness to you. Acknowledge your sin, repent of your sin, and believe. And you will become righteous in a dwelling place that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that can dwell in the, it, only in holy places, the Holy Spirit will come into your life and live. You will be made righteous. But here's the thing that keeps so many people away from God is that they, they did it their way. In the words of verse 15, they did it in a way that was right in his own eyes. And they were unable, unwilling to bend the knee, to bow before God, to admit fault to God and confess their sins. Now, if you're in a place where you're not sure if you're ready to do that, I want to just ask, is that blocking other relationships in your life as well? Because most often it is. We can't admit fault to God. It's just a reflection of our inability to admit fault to other people. And it's, it's an incredibly isolating, terrifying place. But the message of the gospel is a message that frees and breaks those chains apart and opens the world up to a new hope. 
That's not to say that everything is going to be easy in reconciling with other people. And wisdom, wisdom realizes that the task that you've been called into as a follower of Christ to extend the gospel to other people will require great care in who you entrust your life to and who you don't. Great care in how you extend forgiveness to other people, how you relate with other people, how you speak, who you entrust certain confidential matters to and who you keep it from. But here's the significance. Jesus Jesus speaking with his disciples and probably others, Matthew 12, he says this, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account For what? For every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now listen, actions matter. And I'm an engineer, and so I know a lot of you are engineers. And for engineers, it's about numbers. It's about structural integrity. It's about uh, efficiency, process efficiency. Oftentimes we think words are just nice signs that somebody hung up in the house. But Jesus is saying, no, words, words matter. Words matter not just to make somebody feel good, but for salvation itself. Words can be life-giving or life-taking. And he's spoken words to us that are words of warning Words that hurt, far more powerful words that heal and bring life and forgiveness for the words that have hurt you and for the words that you've spoken that have hurt other people. Three little words, one pastor pointed out, three little words are perhaps the most powerful words you can say in life to God or to somebody else, and that is, I'm sorry. Forgive me, there was a conjunction there. I am sorry. I am sorry is the wor- are the words that can start your life in relationship with God and restart your relationship with others. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our lives are filled with broken relationships. And your words of healing give us power, remind us of our position with you. But they also expose. They expose our own guilt where we have spoken rashly with others. They expose pain that we've experienced from others. Lord, will you make us a people are able to bring healing to those places because you apply the healing to us. Father, where we have been hurt, will you heal and give us strength that we can use these three words and say, I am sorry to you, to one another, and to hear you say, you are mine. You are forgiven and to then extend those words to others.
to say, you are forgiven, I forgive you. We ask this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.